The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Right now, though, in studio, I am joined by the Minister for Foreign Affairs, the Minister for Defence, the leader of Fianna Fáil, Tánisda Mihal Martin. Tánisda, you're very welcome to the show and thank you for taking the time uh, to come into studio. Um, a, a lot I want to talk to you about the, the big news today, of course, and people will have heard it in our bulletin there, is the shooting in Oma of DCI John Caldwell, which has echoes, I know, for lots of people, given where it occurred as well, of some of the darker moments of our past. Yes, uh, absolutely shocking. Um, and also the savagery and depravity of the attack on, 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 on Detective Chief Inspector John Caldwell um, will, will shock many, many people um, because not only did they chase and shoot, but they went down from when he was on the ground. Um, they fired more bullets uh, endeavouring to kill him in front of his son and in front of many young people. Uh, and he's a very well-respected uh, police officer on both sides of the border. People know him. He's been involved in a detect- detecting a lot of serious crime and uh, dealing with a lot of dissident Republican groups as well. Uh, the ver- uh, and there he was last night, off-duty, uh, helping young people, building team spirit. You know, football, we've all been there. Mm. Uh, and to think that a, an act of, uh, of of depravity like that could happen now, uh, 25 years after the Good Friday Agreement was sa- signed, and uh, I think it's something that has shocked people across the island. Um, this is the very best sort of man that we could think of uh, being attacked by the very worst. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, I think all of, all people out there who have any information in relation to this should go to the police. And we need to do everything we possibly can to arrest and, and to bring to justice those who have carried out this, this heinous crime. We were speaking a little earlier in the show to Liz O'Donnell and actually Alistair Campbell and Pat this morning and the Pat Kenny show were making a similar point as well. When you... When you even hear of an attack like this happening in Oma as well yes. of all places I mean for a certain generation for, for a lot of people yeah. in Ireland anyone above the age of 30 really 35 yeah. anyway um, it, it has resonances and, and echoes to one of the worst incidents of the Troubles Oma is deeply embedded in, in our minds the atrocity at Oma uh, I can still remember where I was that very day when it happened uh, I was on the Finafoil front bench at the time and I remember we were immediately summoned to Dublin um, the scale and shock of that atrocity uh, and that uh, an event like this could happen in Oma again, uh, I think does bring back to, to that generation that you speak of um, the, the, all that happened in the past and, and the enormous trauma. I was up recently meeting with victims of that period um, and the trauma that they are still going through uh, 30, 40 years on because of the death of a loved one as a result of violence of this kind. Um, and um, those of us who have been through that, uh, who have engaged with victims of, 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 of violence, understand that this uh, crime yesterday will have a long uh, impact, a sustaining impact on uh, John's family and the wider community, all the young people that witnessed it. Um, and also one has to factor in the possibility that the, the, the people who carried out this crime um, could perhaps have been children around the time of the Good Friday Agreement. Mm. So what is that saying about where we've arrived at. Um, I find it very difficult to comprehend the mentality of those who have carried out this attack last evening. I think it's a, it's an attack on society. Uh, it's an attack on uh, of the civilised uh, world that we want um, and we want to nurture among young people. Mm. Is it, an, I mean, is it an indication of of some of the shortcomings of maybe not necessarily the agreement but of implementation of the agreement that this is... 
still happening. Without, that, that, that's not meant to be critical no, of anyone I, I, who's involved. I don't involved, think it is, to be honest. Okay. Um, uh, I genuinely be there, a group there, there. I mean, first of all, we don't quite know specifically who carried out this. No, but, but but the PSNI um, are quite clear that the focus of their correct, inquiries yeah. is the new and IRA. I think the, the issue there is uh, there comes a time, and I've been saying this now consistently for the last number of years, when we need to take the gun out of Irish politics, but also the narrative around the gun out of Irish politics. You know, we're, um, and uh, there can be no triumphalism or, or in any sense of celebration of violence in our society, past or present. And I think that's important for the young generation today and for future generations. Mm. Ireland has now taken its place among the nations of the world. We do such good work at United Nations Security Council across Europe in, in, in humanitarian assistance and, and living through our values uh, that I think that's what we should be talking about with young people um, and, and giving them a proper sense and understanding of history so that we don't have people coming forward with warped minds essentially mm. uh, who um, have some warped view of life that they feel it's okay to do a dastardly act like that last evening. It, it, what's interesting is um, this podcast was launched last night this News Talk podcast with Bertie Ahern as I remember it and it, it's a lot of the, the, the people involved um in the Good Friday Agreement, so Bill Clinton features Tony Blair. Um, I mentioned Liz O'Donnell, who was with me a little bit earlier in the show as well, talking about her own memories um, of that time. And it was a point made last night, and I can't remember, was it by Bertie or somebody else, that you know there is a generation for whom 1998 is ancient history. You know, they, do, they don't remember, as you do, where you were when things happened, because they do have no memory of it. Some of them weren't alive. And that that's part of the value of, of these people getting together and recording exactly for posterity what happened what the what, what the atmosphere was what the context was like in this country that's the value in it isn't it absolutely absolutely and I think it's very important in this year the 25th anniversary year that we facilitate a good well-informed discussion uh, around the Good Friday Agreement itself and the courage of the political leadership of that time the two governments the Irish and British government working in lockstep together um, on that peace initiative for quite a number of years prior to um, 99 and I, I would have been a Minister for Education at the time and I remember Martin McGuinness was a uh, became the Minister for Ed- uh, Education in Northern Ireland as an outcome of the mm. of, of the Good Friday Agreement but the leadership of uh, as I said the two governments people like David Trimble uh, I'll always remember uh, the then Taoiseach Bertie Heron saying to us about what people were becoming impatient with David Trimble for maybe not jumping sooner or or, or whatever and he reminded us of what happened previous uh, unionist leaders who would have compromised in the past and they paid a heavy political price for it, as did David Trimble subsequently. So I think the, the courage of all the leaders at the time is a reminder to current leadership uh, to show courage as well in the, mm. in, in the context of the current issues around the protocol and all of that because uh, what they faced back then and the decisions they had to take were of a far higher order I would put forward than perhaps the issues that confront uh, political leadership and parties today. You'll have to listen to the podcast. Will it be on your playlist? It will be, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I have more than an interest in it, and I think it informs our the, the future as well. You know. Yeah. Uh, and you're so right because I realise now, as back as Minister for Foreign Affairs, that even meeting with other ministers, I'm meeting a generation of politicians who don't quite have the same. Yeah memory or uh, experience and the need and, and all, all, almost the modus operandi of how you arrive at agreements yeah. uh, and, and the give and take that it involves. Well, well, let's talk then about that agreement that we're all hoping to arrive at when it comes to the protocol. Um, and you mentioned uh, uh, the, the 
the state of negotiations. It was a kind of a feeling of Lanigan's ball a little last week. We were in again, out again. Um, and, and I want you to take a listen. This is actually Bertie's sense of where we're at speaking last night. My advice to Rishi Sunak is make, make sure that you've done the preparatory work. Um, you know, get, get taking, uh, he's a very clever man, I've no doubt that, uh, a very successful person. Um, but but you, you, you have to get your ducks in a row in negotiations. I mean, I was listening to the stuff on the weekend and, you know, very, very senior um, journalistic people were telling me it was going to be announced on, on, on Sunday. Uh, and my answer to them was, what Sunday? Um, and and I, I think the idea uh, of believing this can be all wrapped up tomorrow or, or the next day is, is not a good idea. We, we all want it to be wrapped up tomorrow or the next day, but I mean, is, is Bertie right, his sense of it, that you know, maybe well, we're not as close as some are suggesting? Well, I think there's, there's a number of phases here. First of all, um, the negotiations between this UK government led by Rishi Sunak and the EU Commission negotiating team uh, have been very, very substantial, have been very serious and trust has genuinely uh, developed between um, Ursula von der Leyen, the President of the Commission uh, and the UK uh, Prime Minister, uh, James Cleverley and, and, and Chris uh, Heaton-Harris and um, Maris Sefcovic, uh, which has resulted in very, very substantial progress and a lot of detailed work. So a lot, a lot of work has gone into this. Mm. I know that from meeting with Commission officials and indeed from meeting with UK um, ministers as well. So, that, so it is at a, uh, an, adva- an advanced stage. But uh, I think what, what, what Bertie is perhaps uh, alluding to there is that when you get to the closer to the end stage, the, the, the next question is how does one, if you like, socialise the progress that has been made with key other parties who necessarily wouldn't have had uh, access to the to, to the material or the detail that was covered in negotiations, uh, because I think qu- quite rightly the EU and the UK and negotiating teams created space for themselves and avoided briefing people on the detail. I think they were right in that because we have to had to move away from kind of the megaphone mm. attention to these negotiations that had been characteristic of the previous two years, two and a bit, um, and to give the negotiators the space to go through every single yeah. issue. Nothing is agreed until everything is agreed. Uh, and to really move it on because sometimes the daily commentary, there are people on all sides who'd like to trip it up as well, let's yeah. be honest about but it. But the, the people you're talking about who, who then need to be socialised, uh, who, who need it explained to them as to why this is the deal, the right deal, a good deal, and they should agree to it. Are you talking about Suella Braverman, the ERG, the Boris Johnsons of this world, the DUP? Is that it? Well, I think there's the political community in the UK and there's the political community uh, in Northern Ireland uh, and obviously as members of the European Union uh, the EU keep us informed and, and take our counsel from time to time in, in respect of, 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 of some issues um, and um, and, the, and the challenge has been to be fair to the negotiating teams they had to get substantial negotiations done if you like they had to go mm. through the issues look for solutions and they were solution driven um, and the balance was let's get let's concentrate on the work but then having to engage with others then becomes the next phase. And I think that's where uh, obviously that can be challenging from time to time. But what I've struck, what struck me is if you look at the fundamental principles uh, in Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland industry and business uncertainty, yeah. Northern Ireland political parties, no one has said to me in Northern Ireland that they do not want to have access to the European Union single market into the future because the, it will help jobs, it will help economic prosperity in Northern Ireland. Um, and the, the whole challenge has been to, to 
you know, look at the issues that have been legitimately raised in terms of the operation of the protocol around goods moving from the United Kingdom to, to Northern Ireland. And uh, the, the decision of the UK government to say to the EU, you, you can have complete access to the data, to trade data, yeah. uh, I think was a game changer in respect of the negotiations. Yeah, and, 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 and so, so there has been a kind of progress made. But yeah. yes, you do have to engage with all political parties in the North, including, of course, the DUP. Yeah. Let, let me ask about the DUP, because we had and Sammy DUP, Wilson yeah. Uh, yeah. posing with his sausages. Uh, you know, sausages made in Britain, they shouldn't be stopped on the way into Northern Ireland. And and listen, it, it was a it was a valid criticism of some aspects of the, you know, we can laugh yeah. at it like the manner he went about it, but it was a valid <laughs> criticism of some aspects of the implementation of the protocol. That seems to have fallen by the wayside. And now all the talk is about the European Court of Justice. And the fear that some people have is that really what's at stake here is a political cost to the DUP in going back into the executive and power sharing and getting that back up and running. And there'll just be a constant moving of the goalposts. In other words, there's, there's no socialising, as you describe well, it. I think the our sense from engagement with all of the parties, including the DUP, that there was a genuine wish to go back into Storm and to have the Assembly reconvened and the executive formed. And the people of Northern Ireland certainly want that. Um, I think we can say unequivocally know that the, um, the the protocol itself and indeed we, we have to see the full detail of what's been negotiated between the EU and the uh, and UK but suffice to say that there is no threat to the constitutional status of Northern Ireland as per the Good Friday Agreement. There's no change there. Mm. The UK Supreme Court have only very recently in the last two weeks said that uh, in, a, in a judgment. Um, and, um, and you're confident uh, you can convince the DUP of that? Yes. Uh, absolutely, okay. uh, and I think that is important to give that reassurance and that uh, to reaffirm that fundamental principle uh, that is enshrined in the Good Friday Agreement and is not undermined by this trading agreement between the United Kingdom and the European Union, uh, and that that is important. Uh, and so then we have to uh, look at the various issues that have been raised. Like medicines was raised, medicines was dealt with. Marusevkuj even brought legislation to Europe to change uh, in, in the interest of ensuring security mm. of access and supply of medicines and that there would be no difficulty, quite rightly that there would be no difficulty in terms of, of medicines moving from GB to, okay. to Northern Ireland. Uh, on the topic then of the EU, uh, are there going to be, uh, I was going to say anniversary sanctions and it, it's, it strikes the wrong tone, but are there going to be additional sanctions announced on Friday against Russia? Yeah, across the EU, you, yeah. yes, that, that's that's the work that's underway in terms of a tenth r- round of sanctions. Um, and how close? Russia. I mean, there, there will be an announcement. Well, I can't give you specifics on that, but the, um, I think the Dutch customs uh, website last night posted details of sanctions, and then quickly yeah, took I mean, them obviously, back down again, uh, they, there have been negotiations going on for the last ten days. Yeah, respect. And as you get into a further and further rounds of sanctions, they get a bit more uh, focus on specific areas, maybe or some personality individuals. Uh, but there will be sanctions. There will be a package that will be agreed. Uh, this precise timing of the announcement, um, I, I can't give you today. Um, but um, you know, I, I am I am concerned about the the course of the war. Yeah. Um, the sense I get, and I was in Munich at the weekend at the security conference. Um, I met with a broad range of people from Africa uh, across to Europe and the United States. Um, one gets the sense that um, there's going to be a significant offensive. Um, in the next month or two um, and there's no clear indication yet as to uh, any timeline to a resolution of this. Putin seems to be doubling down. I think his comments at the weekend were worrying where he's trying to now create a new narrative that this is the West endeavouring to mm. 
undermine Russia or get rid of Russia, I think to use his own kind of, I'm paraphrasing what he essentially said. Uh, and that is very worrying. Uh, and his comments on uh, nuclear disarmament and so on and withdrawing from treaties. Um, and then, you know, the Chinese leadership meeting with, 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 with Putin. Now, uh, we would hope uh, that at some stage uh, he will begin to, to pull back uh, because the loss of life is horrendous. Yeah. China offering lethal support to Russia would be a huge escalation, wouldn't it? Yes, it would be. They are saying emphatically that they're not going to do that. Mm. Um, and um, and this week, this day, a year ago, Vladimir Putin was saying he was emphatically not going to invade Ukraine. Correct. Yeah, correct. So we, But it would be a very serious moment, I think, if that was to happen. And uh, again, the world seems to be moving into a more polarised world. Um, and uh, I worry about that too, uh, in in terms of what it means for the next decade or so. Uh, and I think the it's very important that the U.S.-China dialogue would reopen, and that both administrations, it seems to me, are anxious to create guardrails around that uh, relationship mm. or framework, so that untoward stuff doesn't happen. In the rivalry, that's clearly there. In the competition, that's clearly there. But that both leaderships in China and in the US are very conscious too that they want to, you know, yeah. not the, endanger the world even more than it currently is today. Uh, the, the longer the conflict goes on in Ukraine, I mean, have uh, is there any sense that you get when you speak to your colleagues of Ukraine fatigue? You know, that that's certainly a feature of US politics. There's literally a, a, a bill before the Houses of Congress, the Ukraine fatigue bill. And... Is it something that exists in Europe yet? No, and, and no not yet. Do, is it something you worry about? Um, well, I think it's important that Europe has, uh, holds its unity. Clearly, Putin has identified a number of areas. One was energy. And I think Europe proved itself very resilient in the last 12 months on energy. It's very interesting in a way. I mean, if you think 12 months ago, people were really, or certainly nine months ago, people were really afraid of the winter. Yeah. Would we have supplies? I mean, Germany did something incredible, in my view, in terms of just eliminating its dependence, um, uh, essentially on Russian uh, oil and gas and, and Europe did likewise and to achieve that within 12 months was some achievement uh, and so but on the migration side he has used uh, he's weaponized that as well that's why they're attacking civilian uh, residential areas and so on and the power infrastructure making mm. life unbearable for people so that they flee and it has caused the greatest dislocation of of, 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 a po- of population since World War Two. I mean about 12 to 13 million displaced 8 million into Europe others internally displaced. But that we have to hold a unity of purpose in respect of the migration issue across Europe because he wants to divide us and he wants to weaken the European resolve. I think the unity of purpose will continue. Yeah. But I think the people are very anxious, likewise in parallel with that, to see light at the end of this very dark, dark tunnel. Uh, and because the destruction of entire cities, the loss of human life is quite shocking. Um, and this war needs to end. Um, and I would call on Vladimir Putin to end this war. What can you tell us about I, the uh, pr- the proposal for the defence forces to get involved yeah. in, in more active training? Yes. Um, basically, we, we've identified three areas. The European Union has, because Ukraine is acting in self-defence. It didn't invite this war, it didn't want this war. Putin went in, invaded, bombed it and so on. We know that. So, And what he did was he breached the United Nations Charter. And they do have a right to self-defence. Now, what Ireland, we're offering up to 30 uh, specialists, if you like, to work on um, bomb disposal, mm. um, to work on uh, medical combat in terms of, uh, can we train um, more of, 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 the, of the Ukrainian Defence Forces in terms of dealing with medical consequences of uh, injuries and so on and of, 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 of war. 
Um, and, and thirdly, um, likewise in, in, in similar areas in terms of um, sort of general resilience, it's more or less in the non-lethal areas that we're training. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the right thing to do. Uh, we're militarily neutral as a country, which basically means we're not members of NATO and we're not members of any defence pact with anybody else. But that doesn't stop us from assisting people who are trying to defend themselves and their people in the face of a terrible war. Uh, as part of the European Peace Facility, we've allocated about 77 million to non-lethal uh, materials. And it's interesting, in Ramstein recently, even NATO were saying the logistical battle here is as much as the military battle. Yeah. The need for food, the need for the basic essentials of life, uh, logistics. Armors, uh, armies march on their stomachs, isn't that the exactly, old thing? Exactly, exactly, you know. Uh, and so that's, like, we have a role to play. We're also playing a strong role on, inter- on, on accountability for war crimes and, and, and war uh, against um, uh, the war of aggression. And so we've given additional monies to the International Criminal Court. And like Ireland is good at the international rule of law, peace, um, in, in terms of the European Court of Human Rights, in terms of the United Nations, on the Security Council, we played a very significant role, not just on Ukraine, but in making sure there was humanitarian corridor to Syria at the worst of times before the earthquake even. And our diplomats, our young diplomats, would you, of whom you would be very proud of the work that they did uh, in respect of Ethiopia, in respect of um, uh, Syria, and, and, and making sure humanitarian relief got in there. And likewise in Ukraine, you know, um, or our ambassador uh, Theresa they're doing fantastic work mm. uh, in difficult circumstances um, Well listen a quick a domestic matter um, before you go uh, the Social Democrats uh We'll have new leaders, uh, the uh, current leaders, the incumbents, having stepped down yesterday. I mean, there's some in your own party who'd like to see you do likewise. What do you say to them? And there's some who wouldn't. (laughs) 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 Um, Look, from my perspective, I've been very clear. uh, And, um, uh, you know, I think, first of all, uh, we we did. And it's interesting, European leaders still look at me quizzically. You've changed, uh, you know, we... what are you doing uh, Prime Minister, meeting? the Deputy Prime Minister. <laughs> Not so much that, but they found it difficult to comprehend that we would do it seamlessly and without okay. rancour. It, it's almost as if I, I shouldn't have fulfilled the agreement or, or done something to, to pull the rug, which is interesting. And I think that's something I deliberately wanted to see happening, that we can in a fragmented political environment, which we have, um, to, to, to affect that. And I have, and now we're working uh, in foreign affairs and defence and broadly as Tony. So I have a lot to give, in other words. Uh, and um, I'm looking forward to this new phase uh, of this government and also this new phase of politics. So right. I haven't lost any appetite. Uh, speaking of leaders, you're happy to welcome Bertie back to the party, were you? Well, I think in, in the context of the Good Friday Agreement, um, certainly I felt, and as, as the anniversary has come up, he joined He, he joined his local common. We weren't going to stop that. Yeah. Uh, I think... Um, no qualms? Um, well, I mean, there, there are issues that, and we've I've made my position very clear on those back at the time but instead of questions about his, his explanations yeah, but, uh, around Mar- yeah around and they Mar- will always Mahantar be there Bionel. but at the same you know people are entitled you know there's a lot of other people in politics who did far worse I won't go into all that and who got elected subsequently and went into politics so you know I think we need perspective on all of these and he, he joined his local branch I think he had a li- lifelong commitment uh, he is doing uh, a lot of work uh, you know he engages on, in the Northern Ireland with a, um, people from different communities loyalist community unionist communities to uh, because it's a lifelong mission of his in terms of peace on the island. I, I don't think we can take that uh, from Bertie Hearn. I think, uh, you know, I think he wanted to join the local company. But of course, being Bertie Hearn, it gets far more coverage. Yeah. 
than if you joined a, a band. <laughs> oh, sorry, but maybe you get a bit of coverage too. Sorry, yeah, if, I if you join, out to be a local common and Fianna Fáil. Anyway, um, they'd say, uh, "Oh, we always knew that." Yeah, yeah, yeah. There'd, be, the there'd be some of them listening now. They'd be shocked. They'd be shocked. Minister uh, for Foreign Affairs and Defence, Tonish and Michael Martin. Uh, Tonish, thanks a million for coming to the studio. Thank you, Anita. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.